0: Good morning. I'm Pastor Martin Danner. Uh, For those, I know many of you, but not everyone uh, that's here this morning. So it's a pleasure to have you here in worship with us. And I I stand up here during the announcements and look towards you because I can't see you uh, when the lights come back on. So I just kind of scan the room and take note. Um, But as we gather, uh, we always gather on the word of God. And I just want to reflect on God's word from the book of Genesis for a moment here just ahead of the sermon Uh, from Genesis chapter 3. During the announcements, we've been going through the seven sins, right? And these sins can uh, sneak into your mind at any given moment. And for whatever reason, during the announcements, when they talked about uh, the helicopter dropping the eggs, I pictured, like, pushing Anthony out of the helicopter just to see him fall out the eggs. No, I just... <laughs> not because I want to hurt you. I just, I just, I don't know. I don't know. Father, forgive me. Yeah. Yeah. That would be quite the PR. Um, but we've been, really, it's been a really good series. Over the last uh, weeks of Lent, we've been spending our Sunday mornings and our Wednesday services uh, stepping through the seven, uh, what is known as the seven deadly sins, and really exploring uh, what it means for us and, and sort of what God's Word teaches as its solution. Um, and we've been using the Beatitudes, uh, one, of great, uh, one of the greatest sermons that Jesus preached, to sort of address some of these issues uh, around sin and sinfulness. And uh, we just read a story about Adam and Eve, and it's a really interesting story to look at in light of the sin we're going to talk about today, which is gluttony. Another thing, maybe this is why I imagined pushing out of the airplane. And Anthony told me he, he was having trouble figuring out how to preach this sermon on gluttony, and so we traded places. And I don't know why he thought I could preach on gluttony. At all, but uh, here I am. Adam and Eve was they were in the garden, and we don't actually have a sense of how much time they were in the garden for, how long they were in the garden. Um, all we know is that they had everything available to them. They could eat and enjoy the perfect creation that God had given them. Um, but there was one tree that they were not supposed to eat from. It was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So I don't know if it was seven days, I don't know if it was 7,000 years, I don't know what it was, but eventually, day in, day out, walking by that tree, finally wore on them, and even though they had everything, they wanted just a little bit more, and they wondered what the fruit felt like, what it tasted like, I mean, by the time the serpent came, and ask the question, did God really say? I can't help but think that perhaps they were already thinking a little bit about it. It was too easy. So she took, she ate, and she gave it to Adam. And he took and ate, and everything began to fall apart. For Adam and Eve, eating uh, from that tree was their act of gluttony. Uh, they, they had everything Literally everything, and yet they still needed to take more than what they needed. They were compelled to. That's the nature of gluttony. It's going beyond your basic needs and, and taking more. You can put the word aholic at the end of any word, and that sort of becomes the glutton meal of choice. It can be, you can be alcoholic, you can be a donut-aholic, football-aholic. In a weird way, you can also be church-aholic. It's anything taken to an excess that it starts to become less about the spiritual and, and what God wants and desires, and it, it becomes something bigger. It's about immoderation. It exceeds that what that which you need it becomes something more. And here's the thing, when you take more for yourself, you actually deny others those things. When you begin to take and take and consume and consume, you you actually begin to edge other people out. That's the nature of gluttony. It takes away what God has made good and makes it bad. Like, are donuts inherently bad? And they're a gift from God. Hmm. But too many, it's bad. Water, it's good for you. Water is good, but you can actually drink too much, and it can take your life. Like, too much of anything is not a good thing. And that's the problem with gluttony. It mars us as image bearers of God. We fail to live as we were called to, like Adam and Eve failed to live as they were called to. That's gluttony. And the effects of gluttony reverberate into all of creation and, and cause other problems as well. Now, there's this article that I was reading this sort of illustrated this well for me. It was actually about uh, the country of Iran before the Iranian Revolution. And they were under a uh, constitutional monarchy and what they wanted to do is, what he wanted to do to celebrate the 2500th anniversary of the Persian Empire was to throw this big event and invite world leaders from all over the world to celebrate this. And he wanted to sort of position himself as like the King Cyrus, like the greatest king of Persia. But the problem is, is this country was very poor. They had no Uh, Lack of resources, lack of water, there was no hotels, there was no tourism industry. And so he didn't know where he was going to host this event. And so they picked this uh, remote desert location where an ancient city used to be. And in order to prepare for this event, uh, there was lots of uh, scorpions and, and snakes in this desert region. So they had to spray the land with poison to kill everything first. And then he wanted to turn it into sort of this oasis in the desert. And so he spent a lot of money to import thousands of trees and plant them in the desert. And then to keep them alive, he had to water them, which was already scarce in the country. And so you can imagine the ridiculousness of this. People didn't have water, and here's the king watering these trees in the desert. And not only that; that when the guests came, he really wanted them to—he um, wanted the place to feel alive. And so he had um, imported um, hundreds of songbirds and released them amongst the trees. And within the first week, like half of them died, because it's the desert. And so he'd get up to like 104 during the day and 32 degrees at night. And then he. He wanted to build places for the dignitaries to stay, and so they built these tents that were supposed to look Persian. They were two-bedroom tents with a bathroom. And he wanted to celebrate Persian culture, but instead of hiring local artisans to develop the tapestries, he wanted it done well and right, and so he actually contracted uh, Parisians, people from Paris, to do it. He had something like 32 pounds of caviar shipped in, hundreds and hundreds of pounds of meat and vegetables. They developed the menu. Of course, word was getting around about this. It was causing some restlessness because the people in the country had no food, they had no water, they had no shelter. And their king was spending a lot of money for about 200 wealthy people to come. And so he's worried about security, and so what he did is he engaged about 60,000 of his military to protect this site where this event was going to take place. 60,000 military to protect about 200 people. And it led to such dissatisfaction that it actually is seen as one of the stepping stones to the revolution that overthrew that government and set up a lot of the tension and geopolitical stuff that we see still playing out now. I mean, when I read that, I thought, that is like the epitome of gluttony. Turning a desert into an oasis, 32 pounds of caviar, birds and water where birds and water had no business being, all to set yourself up to look like King Cyrus of Persia. And that sin. That that gluttony, we still experience the effects of today. Simple choices. That's where it mars our image, it mars God's creation. And here's the thing like Jesus experienced, you know, we know he was both God and man, he experienced these similar temptations. He was tempted by all seven of these sins himself. One of the texts that we read at the beginning of Lent traditionally is the story of Jesus after his baptism being whisked away by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. And in the wilderness he is tempted. Um, he's, he's hungry, he's starving, and Satan comes along and says, feed yourself. Like just turn these stones into bread, right? He takes Jesus up to the highest point of the temple mountain. He's like, listen, You want to claim the world for yourself? You don't have to do it the way you think you have to do it. Just acknowledge me and I will give you everything. This temptation to want to give up what he had to do was with him even at the very end when Jesus was in a garden like Adam and Eve at the end in Gethsemane. Praying to God the Father, if it's your will, take this cup of suffering away from me. Like, he knew what this was going to cost. The temptation was there. But instead of indulging himself, he had many opportunities to, and he certainly had the authority and the power to, he gave himself for others. Instead of taking the fruit from the tree, so to speak, he hung on the tree. He gave himself up on it for others. He didn't take, he gave In what took six days to create and break, Jesus hung on the cross for six hours to restore and to give. His life is the opposite of gluttony. You see, gluttons want to unite themselves to what will ultimately kill them. But Jesus' words come to us in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for they will inherit the kingdom of God. So the persecuted unite themselves to Christ and give up what they need for Christ's sake. Um, my kids go to um, Elm Grove Elementary in Buda, and they are what well, they call a lighthouse school. And what that means is they teach the seven habits of an effective leader. They reframe it for kids, but it's like Franklin Covey's seven habits for successful leadership. And uh, one of them, one of the seven habits is sharpens the saw. That is, you you want to continually improve and you want to uh, sharpen each other. And the thing about gluttony, the reason why gluttony is hard, I think, to talk about on its own is because in a way gluttony sharpens the saw of all of the other sins. Like, all these sins are wonderful on their own, but gluttony just enhances it. You take pride and you pour in a little bit of gluttony. You go from pride wanting to have the applause and the attention, and gluttony needs to be the diva, middle of it. Envy covets what others have. But gluttony counts every significant detail to the end, like keeping score and track of every little thing. Someone who's greedy may want a million. Someone who's gluttonously greedy wants 10 million. Someone who is angered can be angry, but someone who mixes in that gluttony with anger is sending the nuclear warhead. Gluttony sharpens the saw of all seven of these sins. Amplifies it. This is why it's a good sin to end on in a way because you can take any one of these and pour in a little bit of gluttony and it becomes much more potent. So gluttony can feel like greed or envy or sloth. So what's the solution? Well, in the the Sermon on the Mount, it is the idea of persecution, because being persecuted for righteousness' sake works in a similar but opposite way of gluttony. Gluttony is all about taking an abundance for yourself, even to your own demise, but persecution for righteousness' sake is giving up oneself fully, divesting of yourself fully, Maybe even to your own demise. A glutton sells their soul for whatever, fill in the blank for power, for wealth, for food, to be better. They just take it to the nth degree. The persecuted for righteousness sake, give even what they need up for Christ and for another. They're willing to walk away. that's how a persecution kind of works when when you hear the words of Jesus who calls us to take up our cross and follow him that if you want to find your life you have to be willing to give it if you understand that everything you have is a gift from God and not yours to begin with if you understand where God's calling you then it's not threatening anymore because it's not your life to begin with so you give that's how Jesus saw himself as the giver, of life. There's this uh, story in the New Testament that I think illustrates this, where gluttony comes up against what Jesus is teaching through what he does and how he lives, and that's the story of Mary with her perfume. She has this expensive uh, bottle of perfume. <clears throat> She's a single lady. And she comes into this room where they're dining and she breaks the jar of perfume, pours the jar of perfume on the feet of Jesus and then begins to wipe his feet with her own hair. And this is scandalous and appalling to people in the room because well, we could have sold that expensive perfume for some money and helped more people. Like why is she underneath the table pouring perfume on her feet? How shameful. And it was a bit shocking because it was very expensive to have this, uh, this oil, this perfumed oil. And she was single, and so this was like her dowry of sorts. Like it was her lifeline being single. It's how she could support herself or how she might be able to get married. And she was willing to give it up to anoint the feet of Christ, everything, instead of keep it for herself. And Jesus silenced them and honored her for what she did. Because in a way she was anointing him, which is a significant symbol in Scripture. Only kings got anointed. He was being anointed. But he also said that she was preparing him for burial. I don't know how they interpreted that phrase. But Jesus was acknowledging the gift. And he was pointing to the gift that he was about to give. Which was his life. That's what he went ultimately to the cross for. He went to the cross to address every single one of those seven sins. It's why we've been talking about them. Because as we come to the end here of Lent we acknowledge that Jesus freely went to the cross, freely was persecuted for righteousness' sake, for your righteousness. That is, so that you are redeemed, so that you are forgiven, so that you are made whole. So together we Walk to the cross. And we anticipate the goodness of Christ in his gifts and his promises. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.